Live Creative Now, episode 120. Welcome to Live Creative Now with Melissa Dinwiddie, a weekly podcast to inspire you to create your art and share your work. Because that's how you will change the world. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, passion floor light artist, happiness catalyst, and creativity instigator, and author of The Creative Sandbox Way, which you can find at an Amazon near you, here to address all your questions about living a full-color, creative life. Whether you think of yourself as not artistic, not creative, or you think of yourself as an artist of any kind, or anything in between, no matter how you define yourself, feeding your creative hungers makes you feel more alive. It's how you change your life, and it's how you change the world. Before we get started, I want to talk a little bit about the importance of tiny and daily. I talk a lot about this, about how for most creative pursuits, you don't actually need great big chunks of time. You can do your creative thing in nooks and crannies of time. But of course, it is still so wonderful when we do get great big chunks of time. So I make it a priority to set aside a few really big chunks of time every year to fully immerse myself in my creative pursuits, distraction free. And one of those big chunks of time is coming up. It's my Create and Incubate Retreat. It's five days and four nights, September 13th through 17th. We all know how hard it is to stay focused on your creative thing when you also have to deal with laundry and cooking and emails and phone calls and errands and driving the kids to soccer and, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And that is why it is so valuable to go on a creative retreat And at Create and Incubate Retreat, you will have five days of uninterrupted create time to work on any project you want. Paint, draw, collage, work on your novel or memoir, plan out your business strategy for the next quarter, write that ebook or design that course you've been wanting to teach. No phones to answer, no laundry, no cooking, because delicious meals are prepared for you three times a day. And let me tell you, there's something truly magical when you get together in a room with a group of other creators and every everybody is immersed in their own creative project. It is this special buzz of energy that puts everyone's creative power up to turbo. It's so energizing. These kinds of deep dives fuel my well for months. And that is why I have made going to retreats like this a priority in my life. And that is why I host my own retreat every year. And I would love to have you at it if it feels like a good fit for you. Just go to createandincubateretreat.com. That's createandincubateretreat.com to read all about it. And if you have any questions, you can contact me from that page would love to have you at the retreat. And now on with today's episode. 
Last week of June, I was at Jazz Camp West, where I go every year. I've been 11 times out of the last 12 years, and I always look forward to it. But I have to confess, this year, my week at Jazz Camp was rough. I was hit with an unexplained depression that really kind of knocked me off my feet for the first four days, really most of the week. Who knows why? It was, I think it was actually kind of a perfect storm of a number of different things going on in my life. Um, Our house is torn up from remodeling. I'm in the middle of this massive kind of identity shift that's happening with my business uh, stuff going on with my parents' health. I mean, there's just a bunch of things going on in my world that, I don't know, kind of a perfect storm. It, it doesn't really matter why. What's relevant here is that because of this weird, unexpected, out-of-the-blue depression, I was really a hair trigger <laughs> for tears, I felt like Niagara Falls. (laughs) Anything could set me off and anything did set me off. And I felt like I spent most of the first half of camp trying to regulate my tears because crying in public makes everyone else so uncomfortable, right? It was really no fun. Camp started on Saturday and then on Tuesday, so the fourth day, I was still I was still pretty depressed and I was still really quite a hair trigger for tears, like Niagara Falls girl. I I had this opportunity to perform. I got my name drawn out of a hat on Monday. And so Tuesday was my my day to perform. And I had exactly five minutes. That was my allotted allotted time to perform in. And I decided to share my creative sandbox song, my I wrote a song with my 10 guideposts, Creative Sandbox Way guideposts. And if you go to the show notes at livecreativenow.com slash 120, there's a link to a slightly older version of this song. It's been updated a tiny bit from that version. The song is only two minutes long. So I had about two minutes for an introduction to explain the song that it came from my book and the book evolved out of my course, my e-course, the uh, Creative Sandbox 101, and just talk a little, to explain a little bit where the song came from and stuff, and where my, those 10 guideposts came from. So, you know, two minutes for the introduction, two minutes for the song, with a little cushion, that should fit me inside that five-minute allotment. So Tuesday morning, I skipped my morning classes so that I could spend the whole time practicing because I really, it was important to me to do a good job. Jazz Camp West, like this audience, is an audience that it's really important to me to do well in front of. So I was in my tent with my ukulele. I was, you know, working on the introduction, you know, really spent a lot of time honing it, writing it, crafting it, editing it, practicing it, practicing it, practicing it, drilling myself on the ukulele. 
And, you know, it was short notice, but I was, I was as prepared as I could be on short notice. I had not been doing music a lot this year. So I did not feel as prepared as I would have liked. But you know, I was as prepared as I could be given the amount of time I had to practice. And when my time came to get up on stage, the introduction basically went fine. I because I've spent a lot of time up on stage, I no longer get hugely freaked out in on stage, I get nervous at jazz camp, because it's an audience that I want to do well in front of so I get more nervous than normal. But the introduction bit went basically fine. And then I did the song. And I really had kind of a train wreck. I really just kind of blew it. My fingers messed up. I think at one point, I literally just stopped playing the ukulele because I just messed up so badly. Uh, I sang the wrong words. I like sang it's a, you know, there are 10 guideposts. I sang number nine when I was supposed to sing number 10, things like that. I mean, it was a mess. And I felt horrible. (laughs) I will not lie to you. I felt horrible. And the schedule is so crammed at jazz camp that immediately after this performance, there were eight of us who performed that during this hour, and dinner comes immediately after this performance hour. So I had no opportunity to release those horrible feelings. I went directly from that performance hour, which is called open mic, I went directly to the dining hall feeling horrible, (laughs) feeling pretty shaky. And so I walked into the dining hall with my plate of food. And I looked for a group of people to sit with where, you know, a group of people that would feel sort of safe to sit with. And guess what happened? That hair trigger for tears, that was still a hair trigger. So of course, I still I I didn't have a good damn to hold those tears back. And so, you know, the tears are starting to roll down my cheeks. And those people that I thought were kind of safe to sit with, they were not safe to sit with. And a bunch of them, you know, they had good intentions. But they were not helpful for me. They started telling me, you can't, you don't get to beat yourself up. You can't beat yourself up. Which I know came from a place of trying to be helpful. But it was not helpful. It was not helpful at all. And one woman actually said something about a pity party. She had a very scornful look on her face. And she said something about a pity party before stalking off. And I can tell you that really pissed me off. Really pissed me off. And at the time, you know, I was in the middle of some really intense feelings. And I couldn't think clearly enough to formulate a response. I knew that it wasn't helpful for them to tell me you don't get to beat yourself up. You're not allowed to beat yourself up. And I knew that it wasn't helpful to say pity party to me. But I couldn't, I couldn't 
I, I couldn't think clearly enough to explain why that wasn't helpful. And, you know, I was in the middle of this intense emotional reaction. So later, after camp, I was able to write about it in my journal. And I knew, I mean, here's the, here's the good thing about having an intense emotional experience at jazz camp that was at the time extremely negative. <laughs> it did not feel good. I thought, well, this is some really good material for my podcast. <laughs> so this is my response. Because there is a difference between a pity party and beating yourself up and just crying. And when I was sitting at that table, trying and desperately wanting to be able to stop those tears, I knew that what I most needed actually in that moment was to just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry. And I knew that I, I wasn't beating myself up by crying. And I knew that I wasn't having a pity party. But I couldn't in that moment articulate the difference between those things. So what is the difference between a pity party and beating yourself up and crying? So here's, here's what it seems to me. A pity party is, oh, woe is me. And a pity party is no, there's no movement to resolve it. There's no forward motion at all. And sometimes, sometimes I think a pity party is seems like it might be a necessary step. I don't know why. <laughs> but humans sometimes need seem to need to wallow a bit before we can figure out how to move. I certainly have had pity parties in my life at times. <clears throat> but what the 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 defining thing about a pity party <clears throat> as far as I can tell is that it is just this circular, oh, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. And there's no movement to resolve it at all. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Beating yourself up is also no, no forward movement, but it is specifically all about the past and all about um, blaming yourself. You know, I can't believe you did that, you idiot. How could you have done XYZ? What a stupid moron, right? Now, when you cry, there may be elements of either of these things going on for sure. You may be pitying yourself, you may be beating yourself up. I was certainly experiencing pity for my poor bedraggled ego, <laughs> certainly. And I was certainly frustrated with my performance and pissed at myself for not doing a better job. But the biggest thing going on for me in that moment was simply a release of emotion. And that was where there was the biggest disconnect in the room in that dining room at jazz camp, because I desperately needed to release those emotions. And for me in that moment, my tears were a healing, my tears 
were not a pity party. They were not me saying, woe is me and circling around in pity. And they were not me beating myself up. The crying was like draining pus from a wound. I know that sounds really gross, but it was a way to release toxins metaphorically and probably, possibly, I don't know, literally. They were a way to ultimately make me not just feel better, but to actually think more clearly and heal so much more quickly and cleanly. Is actually like a physical need. But the problem was to everyone around me, my tears looked messy and ugly and scary. To them, the crying didn't look like healing from the hurt. It looked like the hurt itself. To them, my crying, my tears looked like me beating myself up or me having a pity party. That was the disconnect. Because crying, here's the problem, crying is very triggering to people. When you see someone crying, it triggers or re-stimulates memories of when you cried, when you yourself cried. And that, when you cried, it was likely when you were hurt in some way, right? So when you see someone crying, you you don't tend to think, oh, isn't that great? This person is healing from some trauma. Aren't humans amazing that we have these wonderful healing mechanisms? No, we think, oh my God, someone's hurt. I want to stop that hurt. I want to stop the hurt, right? Of course we do. And because our brains are filled with mirror neurons, it makes us feel empathy. Basically, we feel really, really uncomfortable seeing someone else cry. So instead of encouraging them to use that amazing healing mechanism to cry themselves to betterness, which is what they're doing, In order to make ourselves feel less uncomfortable, we try to get them to stop. Hush, little baby, don't you cry. Right? It goes back to that. When we're little babies, our parents try to get us to stop crying. Hush, little baby, don't you cry. It starts that, that young. But when we stop someone else from crying, don't cry, don't cry. Or, you know, big boys don't cry, big girls don't cry. Or how about, I'll give you something to cry about. Maybe you were told one of those things when you were little, right? When we stop someone else from crying, possibly from a really good intention, or maybe from a not good intention, but either way, it interrupts the body's amazing healing mechanism. And it is not actually helping. It's doing the opposite. So when we stop someone else from crying, we might feel better. 
Because those tears, which are triggering us and making us feel uncomfortable, they go away. They're no longer there. So it seems like everything's okay, right? I'm going to stop you from crying and that's going to make me feel better. We do this all the time and we think we're helping. But really, we're just trying to make ourselves feel less uncomfortable because seeing someone else showing their pain is such a trigger for us. But here's the problem. If their tears were interrupted before they were naturally cried out, it's like sewing up a wound before cleaning out all the pus. I mean, gross, right? Really disgusting. Sorry about that. Really, really unhealthy. Really unhealthy because that hurt never gets fully healed. It kind of gets stuck in their unconscious as this thorny knot of unhealed hurt. And that thorny knot of unhealed hurt is just sitting there primed to grab onto other hurts like a log jam in a river. So now anything that happens with just the slightest bit of similarity to that earlier experience, it, it, it now catches on that thorny knot of unhealed hurt and it triggers an unconscious reaction. So now you react from a pattern of hurt instead of responding from your clearest thinking. If you've ever noticed it, noticed yourself overreacting to something that has, it's like, wow, why did I respond? Why did I react that way? I totally overreacted and it like had nothing to do with what just happened. It probably is because you got triggered. You got triggered. You got something triggered, you know, an old hurt got triggered in like a, like a, one of these, uh, a thorny knot of unhealed hurts got touched. And you reacted from a pattern of hurt rather than responding from your clearest thinking. So back to crying. Have you ever watched little kids like a little, little kid's running around and playing and one of the kids falls down and bumps her knee and the little kid starts, she starts to cry, right? If you say something like, oh, shut up and stop crying or, you know, crying's for sissies or I'll give you something to cry about or whatever. If you try to shut the kid up or you just say, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. It's everything's okay. Don't cry. You invalidate the kid's crying the kid might shut up, but you're you're essentially sewing pus up in that wound, right? Kid never has an opportunity to cry out that hurt. On the other hand, if you go over to that kid and you pick the kid up or you put your arm around the kid and you say, ouch, you bumped your knee, that must have hurt. I'm going to sit here with you while you cry. Maybe the kid cries for 90 seconds. And then guess what? They're often running. They're often playing and laughing again. It really quickly, it's kind of amazing. All the kid needed was a little bit of attention and just validation that, oh yeah, you got hurt. I'm just going to sit here with you while you cry. They just needed to let those hurt feelings out through some tears. 
That is the body's natural healing mechanism. It's brilliant. That's how it works. And you know who understood this? Mr. Rogers. If you ever watched Mr. Rogers on TV, man was brilliant. I have a a graphic photo in the show notes with a quote from Mr. Rogers. He said, people have said, don't cry to other people for years and years. And all it has ever meant is I'm too uncomfortable when you show your feelings. Don't cry. He says, I'd rather have them say, go ahead and cry. I'm here to be with you. Oh, God, I needed that so badly when I was at jazz camp. That's all I needed was somebody to say, go ahead and cry. I'm here to be with you. Not, you don't get to beat yourself up. Not pity party, but go ahead and cry. I'm here to be with you. Crying is not beating ourselves up, nor is it a pity party. Unfortunately, most of the world is not clear on this concept, so it doesn't feel safe to cry in public. Even in a space like Jazz Camp West, which you would think is safe, it was founded by a therapist. And at the all camp meeting on the first day, they literally talk about crying (laughs) as an expected normal part of the arc of the week. (laughs) But it's really, it's, it's not safe to cry in public because most people are not clear on the concept. So what do you do when you're in a public space and you don't feel safe, but you can't keep the tears back? Well, if you can, if there are allies in the space, which they're not always going to be. But if there are like I was, you know, I was at camp. I knew there probably were some people that I could cry to who would be able to listen. If you're in that kind of situation, seek out your allies and let them know what you need. This is really important. I assessed the people I knew at camp. I thought about the people that I thought could probably listen in the way that I needed. And when those people started giving me advice, which was not what I wanted at all, I thanked them and I gently told them that I really didn't want any advice. I purely wanted to cry. I wanted to just vent. This is really hard for people to do. Not everyone can listen without giving advice and not everyone can can hear that kind of request without feeling like you're criticizing them. So pick your listeners very carefully. And meanwhile, think about the gift you would be giving to be a listener to someone else if that's something that you're capable of doing for someone else. It's a huge gift. Are you able to do that for someone? Think about that. And as you go about your day, be on the lookout for when people are expressing strong emotions, like through tears. Or another way people express strong emotions is through shouting to express anger or shaking to release fear or laughing to express joy or nervousness, right? And simply start to notice the different ways that we release emotions 
That's our body's natural healing mechanism, right? And then notice what those feelings and the expression of those feelings, notice what that brings up in you. Notice the feelings that it brings up in you when you see other people releasing emotions. Do you naturally want to stop those those people from expressing those emotions because it makes you feel uncomfortable? Just notice that. Start to notice. And remember my golden formula, self-awareness plus self-compassion equals the key to everything good. And then meanwhile, here's another really key piece. This is very hard to remember when you're in the middle of a strong emotion, but if you're not in the middle of a strong emotion, it's a useful thing to remind yourself because then when you are in the middle of a strong emotion, you can, you'll be... It'll be easier to remind yourself. It'll be hard to um, acknowledge it, but remind yourself that all feelings are transitory. All feelings are transitory. Bad feelings are transitory. This is so great. Of course, good feelings are transitory too. This is not so great, but this is reality. When I was on stage at jazz camp and I messed up that song so badly, And at dinner afterwards, I pretty much wanted to crawl into a hole. I was humiliated and I was ashamed that I had made such a horrendous mess of things. I felt terrible, awful. Oh, God, the shame of it. And by the next day, I still felt embarrassed, but the sting wasn't quite so bad. Because feelings are transitory. And now it's a month later. And the level of pain (laughs) that I feel from that experience, honestly, it barely registers. Barely registers because feelings are transitory. So that, and that entire week, I was so depressed and I was crying all the time. And now it's a month later and it's like a distant memory. It's 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 almost like watching a movie when I think about it. It's like, really did that happen to me? Feelings are transitory. And when I'm able when I'm able to have a big old good cry with a really good listener who can simply listen to me knowing that I'm completely good, (laughs) not trying to fix it, not trying to give me advice, but simply listen to me. Whatever hurt is wanting to come out is less likely to stay stuck inside. And then I don't have to, you know, walk around operating on top of that hurt, if that makes sense. The feeling, although it's transitory, it may not go away instantaneously much as I might wish it to, <laughs> of course, doesn't go away immediately. But my body's wonderful healing mechanism can process it through in its own good time. So I won't get stuck in that no movement place of a pity party, or stuck in beating myself up. 
the tears, the fluidity of the tears helps move the feelings through. So let them flow. Let them flow. And that is today's episode. And now on to something this week, something cool. This week's something cool is BookBub, which is this cool free daily email. You sign up for it uh, at bookbub.com. I have a link in the show notes. And it notifies you every single day about discounts on ebooks. I think it's some kind of a script or something. It grabs all of the ebooks from Amazon and various different ebook sellers. And you, when you sign up, you choose the different types of books that you want to get notified about. And it's everything from mysteries to cookbooks to self help books, all different kinds. And BookBub sends you these really great deals in the genres that you specify right to your inbox. I have signed up, been signed up for, I don't know, a couple of years or something now. And the deals are everything from free to, I think, maybe $2.99 or something like that. I almost, I almost never pay anything. So I'm really cheap. I only get the free things. A lot of the a lot of stuff I've gotten has been like meh, eh, mediocre stuff. But I have to tell you, I have found some phenomenal new books and new series, like series of mysteries and um, other kinds of fiction that I have fallen in love with new authors as a result of book BookBub. So if you read ebooks, either on a Kindle or a Kobo or other kind of book ebook reader, check out BookBub. You may fall in love with it. It's a little bit addictive. So that is this week's Something Cool. That's it. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you are getting value out of this podcast, the best way to thank me is to tell your friends. And hop on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. Those ratings and reviews really mean a lot, not just to me, but they are how other people find the show. So they're actually super, super important. Also, if you are interested in being featured on the podcast in a listener spotlight, they are how you apply to be on the show. So if you are interested in being featured... Uh, go ahead and leave a rating and review over on iTunes and then email me with uh, how the podcast has made a difference in your life and a link to your review so that I know that you left the review. Here's what Xantha J from Australia wrote. She wrote, I always feel refreshed after listening to one of Melissa's podcasts and inspired to go out and live my creative dreams. Thanks, Melissa. Thank you, Xantha J. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to leave a review. The subject of Xantha J's review was created with love and passion. I love that. Thank you so much. All right, that is it. Until next time, thanks again for joining me. And of course, as always, go get creating. Mwah!
Live Creative Now. Subscribe at livecreativenow.com.